Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. The coronavirus has brought California's economy to a screeching halt. If you're able to work at home right now or you got a bunch of PTO or enough money saved to hunker down for a few months, you're in the minority. Most workers in California don't have those privileges. It's a paycheck-to-paycheck existence. Debt, unstable housing, little to no health insurance, no savings for emergencies like this. I can't afford to buy food and a little bit of my bills, but how about next week? I really don't know because it's been two weeks that I don't have work. Even before coronavirus, a lot of Californians were living on the edge. There was this recent UCSF study that looked at retail and service workers, and it found that more than half of them didn't have enough resources to handle an unexpected expense of $400. Workers are in an extremely precarious position on a good day. But then you layer on top of that an enormous public health crisis, uh, and it's just a recipe for disaster. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Today on our show, we're going to look at how the coronavirus pandemic is underscoring inequality in our state. KQED reporter Sam Harnett has been talking to low-wage workers across the state, and he's here to co-host the show with me today. Hey there, Sam. Hi, Sasha. So what's becoming pretty clear right now is that on the one hand, many corporations have resources and powerful allies, and they're asking for bailouts to help them weather the storm and get back to business. But that's not true for most working Californians. You know, if they lose their jobs or their homes, if they take on more credit card debt or can't buy their medications or can't even put food on the table, it means they're not going to be the same after all this is over. Today, we're going to hear from workers across the state, including a farm worker, a musician, and a bartender. Sam went to visit her before the shelter-in-place order. Elsie Villacorda and her boyfriend just stocked up on food to hunker down for as long as they can. So we have, like, beans and rice, sort of Mexican, and then we have, like, pasta. and then we Elsie have, like, worked as a bartender and caterer in San Francisco. With the bars and offices closed now, she has no work and no income. Elsie and her boyfriend only have $2,000 saved for emergencies. For the next couple of weeks, we'll be fine. But after that, food, we will need to go back out for food and figure how to eat. 
So yeah, that's that's my biggest worry long term is essentially just eating. It's miraculous Elsie has any money saved up at all. She's been struggling to break even ever since she graduated from UC Berkeley in 2016 with a degree in environmental science. I thought when I went to college went with that degree, I was like, jobs should be at a decent level. I wasn't hoping to make Google money, but I was hoping to make a livable, you know, maybe 50K a year. And that is not the market I found. Elsie is 27 years old and immigrated to California from Mexico with her parents. Her mom has a job at a factory, her dad in hospitality. She worked hard to put herself in a position to succeed. She got good grades and was accepted at UC Berkeley. She thought with global warming, environmental science would be a safe bet for a career and a way to do something fulfilling and positive in the world. I would love to be an environmental analyst. I love policy. I love breaking it down. I love doing that. I like research. So policy analysis was sort of what I was trained in. It's what I did in college. It's what I'd like to do again. When I was graduating, I graduated in 2016 from Cal. So Obama was in office, and my dream had been to work for the EPA as an environmental analyst and just rack up a bunch of white papers and be like, this is what she'll be doing, this is what she'll be doing, this is what she'll be doing. Elsie tried to find jobs in the field, but she came up empty, or with internships that didn't pay enough to live in the Bay Area. She racked up $18,000 in credit card debt along the way. To try and claw her way out of the financial hole, she got three jobs catering and bartending. Her parents were confused. They thought because she went to a good college, she wouldn't have to work in a factory or the service industry like they do. Yeah, like she was like, you have a college degree from Cal, you know, and that's a huge point of pride for her. So she was like, I don't understand how you can have a college degree and not have a well-paying job. And I kind of had to tell her, like, that's not how things work. Elsie's been able to put a dent in the debt. With all of her jobs, she got her credit cards down to around $10,000. She even found a way to put a little money aside. I actually started a savings account in January. For the first time, I felt confident that I was having a little extra cash, and I started to put like $50 a week into my savings account. Elsie thought that she might actually get back to her dream of working in environmental policy. But then coronavirus hit and disrupted everything. It knocked people like her right off the edge. Elsie says she's incensed by so much. Not just the lack of safety net, but the lack of our government taking this seriously and handling this. Just the lack of governance at the federal level has made me just my jaw drop. Even before the pandemic, she says people needed support. Things like nationalized health care, guaranteed paid time off, school debt relief. And now, on top of all that, they need money just to buy food to survive. When you don't have that safety net, this is what happens. People are have to decide between eating or paying rent or paying their debts or, you know, buying medicine. Elsie says she and her boyfriend will be fine for a few weeks. But after that, she doesn't know what they'll do. So, Sam, what can Elsie do? I mean, she could apply for unemployment, right? Yeah, but it'll take several weeks for her to get an answer. Uh, The state employment development department is getting as much as 40 times as many claims as it normally does. Lori Levy is from the EDD, and she says what's going on right now is unprecedented. We're having um, staff um, work overtime seven days a week, even inviting those who've recently retired back to help us with this and hiring more workers whenever possible. We're going to hear from a farm worker who's on the front lines of bringing us our food supply during the coronavirus outbreak. Her name is Maricruz Ladino, and she lives in Salinas. 
unas mallas abajo, un termo que le llama, me pongo doble calcetín. When she gets dressed for work, she looks like she's going ice fishing. She works in a walk-in cooler that's got to be kept chilly to keep the produce fresh. She packs and inspects lettuce at night after it's been harvested in the fields during the day. I first met Maricruz a few years ago when I was reporting a series called Rape in the Fields about farm workers getting sexually harassed and assaulted on the job. Maricruz told me then about what happened to her back in 2006. A supervisor raped her when nobody else was around. No pude yo decir nada, no podía ni gritar porque es un trauma. Like many other women who were undocumented, she was afraid she would lose her job if she said anything. Yo volteaba y miraba, pierdo mi trabajo, tengo mi familia sin comer. Maricruz finally que, decided to speak up, and she inspired a lot of farm worker women to come forward. Le está pasando muchas, muchas mujeres. I was wondering how coronavirus is impacting Maricruz and farm workers like her. Hola, mujer, ¿cómo estás? Gusto de hola, hola, buenos días. Muy she tells me this time of year she's in Yuma, Arizona, where she travels from Salinas to follow the harvest. And this week, her shifts have been cut way short because there haven't been enough orders for pre-washed salad mixes. She's supposed to call in every day to see if she should show up. She's not sure if in a couple days she'll have any work at all. Cancelaron mucho los pedidos de, del empaque. They did have a meeting this week to talk about coronavirus at the plant. Her boss reminded workers to wash their hands more frequently, and they have to wear gloves and a hairnet as usual. But now they're wearing masks over their noses and mouths. And the truck drivers who transport the produce can't come into the plant directly anymore. They have to wait outside in their trucks. But Maricruz says the company hasn't told her anything about filing for unemployment now that there's less work. Or what happens if she gets sick? The farm workers at her plant are allowed three sick days a year. Otherwise, they have to go on disability. She works on a line where people are standing only about a foot apart, and they have to come in closer contact when they're passing off the packages of salad mix. Maricruz is supposed to head back to Salinas this weekend as the harvest wraps up in Arizona. She's not sure there'll be any work at the packing house in Salinas either. She makes $16 an hour as a supervisor, and by the first of the month, she has to make her $1,600 rent on the one-bedroom apartment she shares with her youngest daughter. Maricruz says she's not sleeping well, and she's too anxious to watch the news as much as she used to. I ask her what she's doing to lift her spirits. She tells me she loves to dance to this song, Cumbia de la Luna, from Grupo Control. You may say you don't know how to dance, she says, but when you hear this song, it's contagious, the good kind of contagious. This crisis is going to touch all of us, Maricruz tells me, and it's a time for reflecting, for reevaluating what's important, and thinking about how we can best help other people in our lives, as long as we're still here. 
a otras personas. Now Maricruz has gotten a special visa, it's called a U visa, because of the sexual violence that she endured by her supervisor. So she is documented, but she was undocumented for years, and she's worried about whether undocumented people can get unemployment. What if they don't have health insurance? So many questions. Maricruz is also worried coronavirus will stall any talk of immigration reform. What's going to happen to dreamers or to the people who've been waiting to process their immigration paperwork? Maricruz has already been through a lot in her life. She figured out how to stay sane through a crisis after she was raped at work. This time, she says, it's not her own private hurt. We're going through a collective crisis together, and she's trying to muster the resilience that's gotten her through hard times before. So, Sasha, there's one thing I don't get. Don't we need food right now? I mean, why are farm workers being scaled back? Well, I talked with the Western Growers Association. They represent farmers here in California and and the West Coast. And they say the reason that some produce companies might be cutting back is if their main clients are restaurants or, or schools. But certainly other fresh produce growers are actually ramping up because there's so much demand in grocery stores right now. You know, there's a grocery store pretty close to my house. I'm going to go up there and see what it's like right now. Hey, Sam. Hey. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. Are, Are you out in the world? Yeah, I'm at the grocery store. It's not as crowded as it has been in the past, but the, uh, Pasta and canned food aisles are still empty. And you can tell everyone's like a little scared to be touching everything. Like I saw there's this one guy who's right up ahead of me who's got his like shirt pulled up over his mouth. He doesn't want to be here. And, uh, you know, coming in here, it's just like you look at the, the cashiers and like these people are working every day, touching all the items, like touching people's hands, like really just exposed. You know, most of them don't have masks. Mm, no hand sanitizer either. No, nothing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they really don't have a choice. They're on the front line, you know, like grocery store workers, pharmacy workers, delivery, warehouse people. They're they're working while everyone else is sheltering in place. Man, that's so tough. Okay, let's talk when you get back home. Okay, talk soon. So, Sam, I mean, I'm hearing that with the increased demand, Safeway is now looking to hire like thousands of new workers, and Amazon wants to hire 100,000 more people for its warehouses. DoorDash is streamlining hiring. So in some ways, the coronavirus is creating more jobs. Right. But remember, lots of these jobs are non-union and they're independent contract work. So those workers don't have employee protections like paid sick time or unemployment. Um, The UFCW union, they're out there asking that grocery and delivery workers get 14 paid sick days, that they get bottles of sanitizer and some time on the job to wash their hands. But corporations are fighting this. I mean, one thing that I find really shocking is that only 4% of all workers in the U.S. have 14 or more paid sick days. That's right. And remember that study from UCSF? In that study, they found that 60% of the service and retail workers that they survey go to work sick. I mean, that's not good for the workers, and it's certainly not good for the rest of us, especially now with coronavirus. Yeah, workers are still going to work sick right now. 
I talked to a pharmacist and she wants to remain anonymous for fear of losing her job. She told me that she and two of her other colleagues went into work with flu-like symptoms just a few weeks ago. And I felt so bad because like there were people coming into the pharmacy that day. What if by like me handing them their, their script in a bag, their hand touches mine and, and suddenly they've got more flu virus on them? People who don't have a paycheck anymore are even more vulnerable to eviction. Governor Newsom has just signed an executive order and it authorizes local governments to stop evictions and foreclosures. Ariella Markowitz talked to somebody in Long Beach who was evicted just before that order got signed. For her, that help has come too late. Danae Smith Edmondson is my dad's neighbor. I've known her for like 10 years. She greets me like a grandma would, gushing about how I just graduated from college. What? Graduating? How? They're just babies. Oh my goodness. We're in the west side of Long Beach, right off the freeway, where a Filipino grocery sits across the street from a black-owned barbershop. Danae was raised here, and she's lived here on Fashion Avenue for the past 20 years. They call me Miss Fashion or, you know, number one neighbor on the block. Her parents bought two properties here in 1974. They actually got separate houses directly across the street from each other. So my goal was to use these for a homeless person that was elderly to, to grab these people off the street, love on them, give them a hot meal, and, you know, transition them into a better quality of life. Now, Danae is sitting in her car, filled with piles of her belongings. Her neighbor's lawn is scattered with the contents of Danae's entire life. She watches her nephew and niece haul a washing machine into a huge moving van. Would you mind bringing it over here so I can put it on? Three weeks ago, she received an eviction notice. She has back problems and had two strokes, so she's been living on disability since 2011. She says she took out a loan on her home and wasn't able to make payments. So the lender went after her house. She got foreclosed on and evicted. It's overwhelming. It's really overwhelming. I've never been through anything like this before. Then coronavirus hit. I, I think that's the last of her worries right now. <laughs> I think that she's more um, focused on this. That's Danae's 15-year-old niece, Oluwakemi. She's here helping the move because school is canceled. Danae says when coronavirus started popping up in the news, she couldn't give it any attention. There's this self-quarantine thing going around. I did hear about that. And... Uh, was told, well, I don't know where you're going to quarantine, but it won't be, you know, here at this property. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll do it in my car. She's been sleeping in her car and at a neighbor's house. But now, Danae is concerned. She has asthma and bronchitis, which makes her more likely to die from COVID-19. And she's adjusting to being newly homeless. I have to try to adjust because I'm like, sweetie, you're homeless. Say it. I need you to speak those words. You are homeless. But in this new era of social distancing, Danae is struggling to reach out and find help. I'm always helping others. I'm not used to, you know, reaching out for help. Cities like San Francisco have initiated emergency quarantine zones and RVs for homeless people who become infected with the virus. The LA Housing Services Authority is setting up hand-washing stations by homeless encampments, and they've released guidelines on how to sanitize shelters where people typically live in very close quarters. 
Just this week, Long Beach passed a law that protects tenants from eviction and foreclosure in the midst of the epidemic. But it only protects people who've lost their jobs or picked up extra expenses because of the outbreak. Danae's old house is now empty. If a statewide eviction freeze had been mandated just a few weeks earlier, maybe she wouldn't be in the situation scrambling to find a place to stay during a pandemic. This is a state of emergency. You have people out there, don't just let them die. After they finish moving the washing machine, workers come and say goodbye. Thanks so much. Sorry we had to meet in these circumstances, but okay, you take care. All right, thank All right. you. I have to embrace who I am and wherever this new life takes me, still be who I am and help others and that's, that's just who I am. I'm sorry. I'm not going to cry. I'm just not. I can't. I can't cry. Federal money can make all the difference for people like Danae, who are living without a safety net. For the California Report, I'm Ariella Markowitz in Long Beach. Right now, with what's going on, politicians are starting to talk about just sending people checks. Politicians as different as Mitt Romney and Ro Khanna. Essentially, this is universal basic income, which, until all this happened, was considered by many a fringe left-wing idea. Some individuals and organizations are trying to step in to help. Like the Golden State Warriors, they pledged a million dollars to help about 1,500 workers at their stadium who are now out of a job. And the workers are grateful, but they say it's not nearly enough. A million dollars between 1,500 workers is less than $1,000 each. So what, what and how, you know, in what way were we supposed to apply that, you know, for our, our families? Um, and then what happens once that's gone? Because after that, we're still here and we're still in this situation. That's Alina Martinez. She's a seat attendant at the arena. And she's one of many workers there that don't have health insurance. She and her husband have been without health insurance since September. And she says if they get sick, they'll have no choice but to go into debt. This instrument is a kora. It's a West African stringed instrument, and Daniel Berkman has been playing it for 25 years. It was already really hard for him to make a living as a professional musician here in California, even before coronavirus. Sometimes I feel like one of the last standing full-time musicians in San Francisco. KQED arts and culture reporter Chloe Veltman says now Daniel's going to have to completely rethink how to survive. Daniel Berkman was on his way back to San Francisco from visiting his parents near Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago when he decided to check in with a key collaborator on a major project he'd been working on for months. And I basically called her and said, hey, I'm really excited to get back to work on this. And she said... Well, actually, it's not happening due to the COVID-19. We're forced to cancel the show. That was where it kind of hit me that like, all right, this is actually affecting me. More cancellations followed. Within a few days, Daniel's schedule had completely emptied out. All of my income has halted. So there's no more income from my jobs anymore. The Cora is just one of the many instruments Daniel plays for a living. I uh, play keyboards, synthesizers, and piano, and I play acoustic guitars and electric guitars and viola da gamba, cello, and I'm a percussionist. 
but the Cora is his favourite. I just loved how one instrument could produce so much sound and still have such a, a serene and uh, healing quality. Daniel is 49 and he lives hands to mouth, accompanying dance rehearsals and giving Cora lessons. He also picks up scattered paychecks from live gigs, composing and teaching electronic music workshops. Daniel says he's been able to continue doing what he does in one of the most expensive cities in the world because he keeps a very low overhead. So I've been living in this little room and it barely fits all of my instruments, but it's been good to me for 20 years. Now, Daniel is wondering how he's going to make his rent. Earlier this week, he tried to reach his landlady to discuss the matter, but couldn't get through. But I left a message anyway, basically telling her that what if uh, the situation is such that I, I, I may have to miss a month. Thank you for calling Kaiser Permanente. He also called his health insurance provider to ask if they'd be willing to cut him some slack. Chiquita, may I assist you? Hi, um, I'm calling in regards to my uh, Kaiser payments. Uh, basically, I I'm just concerned about the uh, COVID-19 and um, I know that people are struggling with paying their bills. And I was just wondering if there's a way of paying the bill late or, or getting a break for this month. Currently at the moment, there is not anything um, going on as far as deferments or forgiveness for the premium. Daniel has no savings, no safety net. And I think that's what's so scary. I don't have a backup plan. Things are looking grim. For the first time, Daniel, who says he doesn't like to feel like he's in anyone's debt, is having to get comfortable with asking for help. It seems like everybody's helping one another. Why can't I just accept a little bit of help? He's applied to a couple of small artists' relief funds. He's grateful to the few friends who've bought his complete discography online lately. One even gifted him $50. And that generosity just reminds me that uh, we really are in this together. Despite the bleakness of it all, I feel like there's hope. Daniel has always focused on live music making. He says if there's one thing the coronavirus has shown him, it's the importance of taking more of his business into the digital realm. This COVID-19 is really a wake-up call. The bottom line is I feel like I need to change how I work as a musician. With online promotion, virtual lessons and live streaming gigs becoming increasingly crucial to artists' survival, Daniel says he plans to spend the next few weeks of downtime ramping up his online efforts and playing the Cora in his room. For The California Report, I'm Chloe Veltman. We know coronavirus is affecting people's lives in so many ways. We asked you to call us up and let us know how you're doing. This is Valerie from Oakland, California. There's a lot of uncertainty, um, a lot of helplessness, but, you know, I have food, I have shelter, so um, I think I'm going to be okay, but these are scary times. My name is Mark, and I'm calling from Fresno. You know, my first year of teaching is... Uh, Quite interesting with Corona. They, you know, shut down the school as of last Friday. It's been one heck of a journey so far. Um, definitely miss my gym, miss my students, miss my school. Hi, my name is Sarah. Um, I live in Sacramento, California. I'm, I'm not freaking out as much anymore, but you know, it's scary, and, and I really still don't know what kind of risks I have. You know, I have multiple sclerosis. I have asthma too, and I'm only 37. I'm 
too young to die. I got my kids. I just want to be here to see them grow up. And yeah, so it's been really, really stressful for me. Hi, my name is Ben Hilmer. I live in Belmont. Um, I started a job recently and was put on furlough. Um, so we're financially impacted. And um, yeah, it's just really frightening. The whole world seems upside down right now. Hi, my name is Michael Hernandez, and I'm from Fremont, California. I'm a student at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I've heard that graduation will be postponed, and since all classes are online, I may have seen some of my friends at college for the last time already without knowing it. We'll play more of your messages next week on our show. Give us a call at 415-830-6580. 415-830-6580. Or you can send us a voice memo from your phone. That's the California Report magazine for this week. Thanks, Sam Harnett, for co-hosting the show with me. Thanks for having me on, Sasha. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our team includes Victoria Maleon, Susie Racho, Rob Spate, Katie McMurrin, and Ariella Markowitz. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, honoring the recipients of the 2020 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards. Learn more at irvine.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and the members of KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.